We're starting things off with a word from our sponsor. Since 1998, DVD Netflix has delivered more than 5 billion DVD and Blu-ray rentals to movie lovers in every American zip code and to military bases around the world in their famous, iconic red envelopes. With an extensive library of titles from the early 1900s to today and shows from such premium networks as HBO and Showtime, DVD Netflix is a must for physical media lovers. Featuring a variety of different plans starting at as little as $8.99 per month, it's a great way to experience DVDs and Blu-rays with special features and commentary tracks you won't find anywhere else. A member for over 20 years, so well before I ever began working with the service as an official blogger on acting or as a DVD, Netflix, Twitter, film discussion host, I think it's a terrific way to keep our vintage video store memories alive and support the physical media that we love so much. So be sure to check out DVD Netflix for yourself at dvd.com. Now on with the show. Hey, this is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. A writer and filmmaker based in Los Angeles, today's guest, Duncan Birmingham, was an executive producer and screenwriter for IFC's Marin, and also served as a co-executive producer and writer on the Stars series Blunt Talk as well. Additionally, Duncan's short films have premiered at such festivals as Sundance and AFI and his screenplay Swingles, which was bought by Paramount, was also on the blacklist. Recently, his lively, irreverent short story collection, The Cult in My Garage, was published by Maudlin House in 2021. And last year, he wrapped and released his excellent first feature-length film as a writer-director called Who Invited Them? Having joined me in 2022 for a terrific conversation about Hal Ashby, I am so glad you're back once again, Duncan. So how are you doing and how is this year treating you so far? Um, first off, thanks for that intro. That was that was great. I hope I didn't make you say those things, right? That was just... Uh, no, on. no, my pleasure. Yes. Um, it was a mouthful. Um, I'm good. I'm good. We're just experiencing a little uh, little rain in LA and uh, it's been a great year so far. And yeah, thanks for having me back. I'm always excited for any excuse to sit on my couch and revisit some of my favorite movies. So this is a real treat. I loved our Hal Ashby talk. So I was uh, excited when um, uh, when you seemed excited about talking about Noah Baumbach. Of course. Yeah, my pleasure. Well, when it comes to um, your own work, who invited them? I loved it. It was so much fun to watch on Shutter. It was really twisty, and I loved uh, the surprises. What was that whole experience like for you? Uh, well, I was trying to put together a movie for many, uh, many, many years. Uh, so it was a it was a long slog. Although I have to say, uh, when I when I wrote the script for Who Invited Them, 
that process came together quickly. Um, there were previous previous movies I'd been trying shopping around uh, with myself attached to direct. So the whole process in general felt like it took a long time, but but really I shouldn't complain because the Who Invited Them script uh, garnered enough attention that that we got the ball rolling pretty fast. Um, but it was a, you know it was a a, a pretty uh, indie, or I should say a very indie, scrappy, low budget uh shoot over two weeks uh in the midst of the pandemic um uh that that was you know really a, a great singular experience but also very exhausting uh the the movie gods were smiling upon me when we got that cast yeah couldn't be happier with um uh, with them and what they did with those characters and a lot of people think those actors knew each other before because they have such great rapport they all met. Uh, basically at the the wardrobe fitting uh and and that's what I met them as well so we we did not have a lot of time to prepare it was really hit the ground running and uh yeah I think I think it came out really well so I've been excited uh excited that people have been digging it and if you don't like horror movies don't worry I'm told even for non-horror movie lovers um there might be something to uh to uh enjoy about this movie yeah, absolutely. It's a good just tale of suspense. It's kind of darkly comedic in places. I think everybody's been at a party and been puzzled by, you know, how do you know people or just this was such a really good idea as well. So what are you working on next? Uh, I have another movie that also has a, a foot in horror. I describe it as a romantic comedy slash horror movie. So um just starting to shop that around and have my fingers crossed that that's going to happen. I also have an idea for a Who Invited Them sequel. Ooh. I've also uh, pitched to uh, the, the powers that be. Um, okay. So big things. And then I'm, I'm, I work, you know, a lot in TV, so I'm pitching some TV stuff, but really, really just trying to get the next movie made. Yes, absolutely. Well, when we were kicking around ideas, Noah Bumbach was one that you suggested, and I thought it was a very good one. Because I remember, you know, when Kicking and Screaming first came out in the 90s, it was kind of the heyday of the talky indie movie, Witt Stillman's films, and then, of course, um, Richard Linklater's and some of the other filmmakers, Nicole Hollis Center. This was kind of that whole era. So what was it about uh, Noah Bumbach's work and these five films? We'll go into them, obviously, in a bit. Uh, you know, some deeper analysis coming up, but overview, give me your thoughts on Bumbach and what brought you to these five movies today? Yeah, you know what? I think he is just very um, singular in that there's there's not a lot of, uh, I'm, I'm always drawn to writer uh, directors. Yes. Um, not a lot of filmmakers out there uh now that are are making you know personal comedy dramas that really feel i think for the most part kind of handmade um yeah. and how they deal with really difficult characters even when even when it's a comedic in tone um I, I i love the way he pulls from you know sometimes they can be light on plot but he's pulling from so many different elements uh elements that i love art house yeah french films yep very euro mm -hmm. um now part of that is is the landscape we're in now that 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 you know doesn't 
allow for a lot of these movies to get made but he's been he's been doing it for a while now and he, he keeps making these films and i think for the most part growing his audience without co- compromise so that i guess that's arguable but i think so 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 i've become uh yeah become a big fan um and these five films as we go through them uh, for me they they all feel like well obviously they're different chapters of of his life they're different films but they also feel yeah. personal they're very much reflecting different uh, chapters of, of his life and in, in the films and the way that the stories are told. So in, in that way, I love how, how very personal they are. So, uh, and they all are very different in, in tone. And I felt like these five kind of made a nice little arc. Absolutely. Yeah. These are very personal films. Uh, some of them are semi-autobiographical drawing from his friends' lives, his parents' lives, um, different aspects of relationships that he's had. And I think that makes it really interesting. Um, You know, you can see the obvious influences. He and Jennifer Jason Lee had a child named Romare, which uh, is perfect for this. He loves the French New Wave. Of course, Woody Allen is his biggest influence. And you see that as well. I mean, Francis Ha kind of feels like uh, one of those films, also a student film. He really likes to share his passion for film overall as far as um, the different eras that he's working, Squid and the Whale. I love how handmade it feels and homemade, and it feels like an 80s film because it is Super 16, and he's using his dad's uh, wardrobe. So, I mean, there's there's a little bit of or home movie quality when it comes to fun box work and just a lot of terrain to cover today. So we should probably jump in with Kicking and Screaming, which is his debut. Did you see this when it first came out? Do you remember? Not. I did not. So I don't know why I missed this one. Um, and I love one review I, I read described it as a reality bites by way of French New Wave, um, uh, to your point of him being such a, a Romer fan. Um uh, so I missed it in the theaters, and really it wasn't. And I'll talk about this when we talk about Squid and the Whale. Squid and the Whale was kind of the movie that blew the the top of my head off, and then I went back and uh, was I've just been a huge fan ever since. So uh, yeah, but I, I have seen it uh, uh, many times since, even though I missed it in the theater. And uh, I just love taking a trip back in the time machine to the '90s, just from the opening uh, licks of the of the of the Pixies song on the soundtrack and the. The pop culture trivia and the the slacker vibe and the video stores and the Prozac jokes and yeah uh yes it was it's it's all there so I I was really really into uh yeah what I guess you'd call up this kind of preppy slacker movie a, a really interesting first film because it just kind of announces his his tone even though it it changes it darkens um over the years it just announces him as this this guy who can write uh, clever dialogue and and spin a movie out of a gossamer thin uh, plot that's that's funny but also uh, a little sad. It is, yeah. I think uh, Janet Maslin described it as like a postage sized terrain that he's carving out of, or that much plot really, but just the comic sensibility and the writing is what really um, brings it to the forefront. I remember seeing this when it was new. I loved the cast and I was always going to the video store every week. And I remember reading about it and being excited. He actually wrote this. I was reading an interview today um, 
at the beginning of the 90s. He said he wasn't one of those arrested uh, adolescent guys after college who didn't want to leave college like the characters do. And he said that one of the kisses of death was kind of the Gen X craze, the reality bites thing, because when he wrote this, that was kind of novel. Um, that wasn't uh, a concept. People weren't calling Gen X a genre. And he was a little bit worried because that's not what he wanted. He was said he was more inspired by like Diner and Eva Deloney and um, some of those films. And so he, I think, didn't want to be lumped together with the, with the other films. And it took a lot of um finagling to get this one made eric stoltz the addition of him they kind of wrote his part in at the last minute to get financing and to get him signed on i also read that steve martin who is a family friend because his parents are writers and film critics um wrote like a letter of almost a letter of recommendation like you would send to college essentially when they were shopping around the script and it was attached uh, to the script and so i thought that was good like you know it, it did have some some praise from someone who knew dialogue and of course was a family friend but i don't think uh, steve martin would have got out of his way if he didn't believe in the script and of course you have uh, chris eigman who from um you know, those Whit Stillman movies was so deft and at verbal linguistic gymnastics. And yeah, it's a great one. Yeah, uh, that's that's great about the Steve uh, Martin letter. I didn't know that. I, I read something, as I'm sure you did, about Jason Blum being his college roommate. Oh, yeah. Blum wasn't Jason Blum at that point, but he is a producer on the movie. So somehow he was mm -hmm. too. Um, yeah, and, and we talked about Noah Baumbach, kind of all his different influences, but his influences are also, and throughout all the movies we're talking about, he's also pulling from, um, you know, the filmmaking generation that, that is either right below him or sometimes his contemporaries. So there's a lot of, it seems like he was very influenced by Whit Stillman, uh, as evidenced by the uh, 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 Chris Eigerman uh, uh, character and, and being in this movie who is so great and for me the the heart of the movie is uh is his character and the carlos uh jacket character and they're going back and forth and their banter i just i just can't get uh enough of it yes and, and speaking of it being homemade yeah his his dad is in there playing a fiction uh his his dad jonathan bombach playing a, a fiction workshop uh teacher and noah bombach has a uh, a, a cameo in there. Although to me, as I was watching it, the Josh Hamilton character, the main character kind of looks like Noah Baumbach. So it's very easy to imagine. Yeah. The character. And um, yeah, the, the dialogue kind of overlaps a little like Altman. It's, it's got a foot in all types of campus uh, campus comedies. It's, it's almost like a neurotic um, uh, animal house. And it's it right from the get go in that party scene. It just kind of announces these big themes that we'll see in all these movies. In terms of you have the uh, one of the couples in in the movie um, uh, talking, uh, uh, and they're uh, 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 the main character, the Josh Hampton character, is a, a little uh, jealous of his girlfriend going off to Berlin. And here we have the first like Noah Baumbach uh, literary couple that is 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 kind of at each other's throats in a way and, and the jealousy that's going to play yeah mr jealousy yeah all of that I mean, it really shines a light on it mr jealousy um so i love that and, and then there's all there's all this great dialogue about these characters not being able to live in the present tense 
and uh, and and from that's that's something that you know uh, uh, Ben Stiller's Greenberg character also uh, struggles with. Mm-hmm. And this idea of you know uh, I, I love the thing about nostalgia or being nostalgic for something like a conversation that you're having while you're having it. Uh, there's that great speech that we both kind of zeroed in on that Chris Eigman gives um, in the movie. And I think that that seems to be a recurring theme. Um, overthinking uh, people who are way too analytical, over smart, Bombach said, or their brains won't stop. I kind of relate to that where you're kind of analyzing or getting in your own head and thinking, you know, and somebody says something. I love the character who comes up with the comebacks later. And then she has to, you know, tell you what they are because she came up with the right one because she is a writer. And I thought that was very clever, too. It's so great. And I had forgotten that Parker Posey was in it. Just I know. Yeah. Like such a, oh, God, a simpler time. Um, The DVD I watched it on had this wonderful little short. uh, I don't know if you've seen this, the Conrad and Butler take a vacation. No. And it's uh, Carlos Jacket from the movie, and he has a smaller part, but John Lear in the movie, and they play these two characters, and they're just talking about going on vacation. They're being very neurotic about it. And the card in front of the short film says that they developed these characters with Noah Baumbach, and they plan there to be a TV show and a movie and all these different variations uh, <laughs> on these characters, but I guess it just ended up being a short. But uh, if Noah Baumbach's listening, I want to see those characters in a TV show. They were so great. I love when Carlos Jacket pops up in anything. Um, he's He is so hilarious and has such a unique delivery. Yeah. Let's get a spinoff is what we're saying for sure. Yeah. You could easily see, maybe they did develop it, uh, Kicking and Screaming as a, a TV show. Yeah. Like, like Tarantino calls like a hangout movie. Like you just want to hang out with, or at least I did want to hang out with these characters. They're just so, so fun. Yeah, that was kind of the era. I always wanted to hang out with a lot of these um, overly uh, analytical characters because it's kind of like you and your friends, basically, if you're of that mindset, for sure. Where they all kind of dress alike, like you do. Yes. They're boxy. <laughs> boxy. Um, and you've got Elliot Gould in there as a dad with the, with, you know, keeping our, our foot in that 70s uh, auteur type. Um, yes. Your fan of. Yeah. Well, another film from this era. Have you seen Highball? I have not seen Highball. I've seen Mr. Jealousy. I have not seen Highball. I've I've read a little bit about it. Yeah. You know, it's hilarious because um, Mr. Jealousy, I'm actually going to be on somebody's podcast. They gave me a few film assignments and one of them's Mr. Jealousy. And so it's for the, uh, the company. I can't remember which uh production company but that's what the podcast is covering and so uh, one of the films i was assigned was mr jealousy so i'm looking forward to revisiting that but in this era he also did with the mr jealousy cast a movie called highball which he has since disowned because he said he made it in like six days just um, an excuse to hang out together kind of like after they made the movie smoke with blue in the face they just wanted an excuse to hang out uh that kind of thing but uh bumbach has disowned it i actually find it really fun it's one of those that whenever i've seen it on a streaming service or whatever i will watch it because there's i mean it doesn't fully fully work but there's just like 
this this little bit, this joke that goes through um, where they make up a song for Felix's birthday, everybody Felix. And so uh, on Twitter, I will sometimes type everybody Felix and you see if anyone knows it and like maybe three people do. And so there is a little bit of a cult of highball. So what we're saying, Noah, is if you're listening, we want more of the kicking and screaming characters. And also highball really isn't that bad, buddy. Yeah. I need to watch highball. It's the only movie of his I haven't seen. I don't know what I'm, what I'm waiting for. <laughs> You're like, Jen, you really oversold highball. No. <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah. Have, just to hang out with those actors again. And I like yeah. the little one-off movies. Like well, blue in the face was the, was the, the 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 fun movie from smoke yes. was yeah. yeah absolutely it was an excuse to hang out with them again and bring madonna and some other people uh just to come you know uh hang out it's a weird one i haven't seen blue in the face probably since like the um advanced screening for some reason i had tickets to the advanced screening of it and i have not seen it since really should watch it again because i love smoke but yeah it's like this is the serious the marquee movie and this is the after party essentially so it's highball and mr jealousy yeah so this brings us to squid and the whale which is his most famous film I think, uh, except for Marriage Story, I think these would be probably his best known films, his uh, prestige picture uh, of the the films that we're discussing today. It's a movie that I took a guy to, and I don't know that he has forgiven me. This happened twice with Noah Bumbach movies. I took my mom as my plus one to the press screening of Margot at the wedding. And I don't think she has ever forgiven me fully for how uncomfortable that movie was. Uh, I didn't love it myself. I do have to say that is probably my least favorite of the Noah Bumbach films. But um, Squid and the Whale is brilliant. I think it was just getting to him like midway through. He's like, God, these people are so aggressively unlikable or so unpleasant. And like by the end, he looked like he had been through dental surgery. And so he had to pick the next yeah thing but uh so i think he at least appreciated it but yeah that didn't work so well that's very squid in the whale because i'm thinking of the the blue velvet screening they all go to and yes they were gonna go see short circuit and he suggested i know uh just amazingly uncomfortable um yes for me this this movie just blew me away i saw this in the theater i think it was a I think it was a festival screening here in LA and okay. not having seen kicking and screaming. I don't think I had much reference for his work. Uh, I'd heard of that movie. Uh, but also uh, I think this movie was so, uh, you know, leaps and bounds better than his previous films. And he, you know, um, also says that it just seems like, yeah. like uh, so we took a kind of a couple, a couple years break. Uh, and this was the, I guess something of a, a comeback movie. Um, and I, I think just how personal it is, how dark it gets, their performance. You mentioned home movies. It it feels it, it it feels so personal like a home movie, the way it's it's edited at points. It is just uh a this relentless uh kind of freight train. Um yeah. so fast, and it is is such a, a interesting picture of uh, divorce, and here again we have these this this literary couple, 
based on his his real life parents who were both writers and uh things get really ugly i i had to look up you know what what was his parents reaction to this movie um and i i you know i guess they both uh took it in stride he usually shows them all his work this was the one script of his he had not shown them uh, yes no, but like you said, they were certainly involved because the Jeff Daniels character is wearing Jonathan Bombach's uh, wardrobe, and and the wardrobe is so great, um, and it, it, I love that. It, I'm so glad that it fit. Um, and and I guess they they took it in stride with with some some shock and discomfort, but uh, apparently seemed to seem to like it enough. Um, the Jeff Daniels character to me is just like the as as a big Jeff Daniels fan is like his best performance by far. He is just so wounded through this whole movie. Um, I, I just I just can't get enough of the humor that comes from how he's trying to hold his his little corner of the world uh together yes absolutely i love jeff daniels i think he doesn't get enough credit for just how good he is especially in this period um we've seen him in all kinds of genres by this point like recently i've revisited speed and you're like wow they put jeff daniels in this but you know he adds a little layer of humanity that you're not expecting in that role and uh when i was reading an interview um, with Noah Bumbach today on this film, he was talking about at first with Jeff Daniels, Jeff was trying to please him too much and doing almost what he called an imitation and how at first it wasn't coming off and they took a weekend off when they were making this. And when he came back, uh, Jeff walked up to him and said, I think I'm doing kind of an impression of what you want and I need to bring myself to it. And he said that was his first experience with working with an actor of that caliber who really knew what he needed to do with his own performance and just how to make it real. And he said, and like the, the difference was night and day. And so Jeff Daniels had that for sure. And then you have Laura Linney, who's an incredible actress as well. One of my favorites. You brought up something really good um, when we were talking about kicking and screaming, how it's funny, but it's also sad. Noah has said in interviews, he thought when he was writing Squid and the Whale, it was a total comedy like a laugh riot essentially and then when he started making the movie and then when he saw it he realized just how sad it is how dark and how much um, pain goes through and there's kind of that pathos that goes through all of his movies but this one for sure there there is some humor here of course um, like you know you mentioned the blue velvet scene it, it's shocking and it's shockingly funny uh, but it's also yeah just um, adults not really understanding their role, people not being aware of their own foibles, I think, or how it's paying off in their kids or what their kids are seeing, people not really checking in with each other or knowing what they need themselves. Something you see with Bumbach's characters, like we saw it in Kicking and Screaming, where they were changing from you know, college to adulthood and people keep changing as they get older. And he's very interested in people needing to find better versions of themselves or figure out what they want. And I love that about this movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, to me, the like the ultimate divorce movie. The, yeah. The adults, uh, foibles of toxicity and their problems and, and their little squabbles and the way they trickle down uh, to the kids, to the two boys is, mm -hmm. is 
so well done. And there are so many um, hilarious lines in the movie, but it is it is so so tinged with pain. It just does not pull any any punches. No, a performance in the film that I think is very funny, but you need it. You need that levity is, oh, I'm going to blank. Is it William Baldwin? I think it's William Baldwin. Yes. William Baldwin as the tennis pro. Hilarious. So great. And I love that he's Laura Linney's uh, character. Has She's she's so fed up after being married to Jeff Daniels and his kind of uh, his yes. claustrophobic uh, intellectual uh, BS that she has to deal with, that she's just she's she now goes for this guy who's just like pure fun or as, as Jeff Daniels calls him, a pure Philistine. And, and that's just one more layer of the family taking sides uh when the younger brother uh wants to emulate uh the the fun-loving tennis pro yeah it's also interesting how kids start out on one parent's side or you know they think that they see one side of something and then they wind up learning more of course also you have anna paquin this was that era where she was always kind of playing the lolita like she essentially plays this role in 25th hour or two where she's the student and the seductress or the object of fantasy and eroticism yes uh yes this that that is probably as dark as the movie goes is her yeah. character moving in with jeff daniels and uh the son and uh being the object of affection for both of them um yes unhealthy yeah yeah but excellent um performances also you have owen klein as uh one of the the children is it the younger one i believe oh yes 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 now that i'm thinking about it, of course because that's eisenberg as the older one so owen klein and that would be um one of the first times that noah bombach works with the offspring of famous people because uh his latest film white noise of course you have uh the nivola kids alessandra nivola and emily mortimer's kids are in that and i believe owen klein uh, i haven't seen it but has a movie funny pages that came out this year that the safety brothers oh yes made me feel very very old um, i know yes this young boy who is so good in the film yeah, and just my last thought on the, or for me in terms of the squid and the whale, just just the details of it, like everything from from the dad not wanting them to, you know, wanting them to reuse the paper towels, to <laughs> the books they reference. I love him reading. I can't. I love Elmore Leonard. I can't pick up an Elmore Leonard book without thinking of the Jeff Daniels character calling him the what the the fillet of literature, um, because he just has to frame everything in in the most uh, uh, haughty intellectual uh, context. Um, yes, little details. I mean, it just it just really feels so uh, uh, true to life. Yeah, I love how everything is like it's a minor Dickens or a minor Fitzgerald, and he hasn't actually read the books that he's talking about. One of my favorite moments is when uh, he is talking to this young woman that he wants to impress, and he's uh, talking about um, the Metamorphosis, which I don't think he's even read, but he's just heard about it and knows about Kafka, and he calls it Kafka-esque, and she's like, well, of course, because Kafka wrote it, and he, he doesn't seem to like get the whole, what he's saying there, which I love. Right. And it's it's uh, it's so hard to imagine he, the, the, the son's armor and his dad is on such a pedestal that there's nobody can kind of uh, uh, puncture that that armor. Um, mm -hmm. 
and yeah, and and again, this movie uh, deals with those aspects uh, that Noah Baumbach is so so good at at bringing up and layering into his movie. This kind of like idea of artistic appropriation. You have the Jesse Eisenberg character, you know, stealing the Pink Floyd song. You have the oh, dad, which is so great, yeah. Dad talking about which, uh, you know, which which uh, novels he's kind of cribbed and and stolen from, and and the the dad being jealous of of the mom's literary career and wondering if she, there's been some stealing going on there. Um, it really is this this academic world, this 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 bubble he creates. I, I love the, the the kind of backstabbing and the and the the, the jealousy uh, and the insecurities that are always uh, part of these relationships. Yeah, one hundred percent. Well, the next film we're going for is Greenberg, which is one that I know you have quite a lot of affection for. I like it as well. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with Ben Stiller's performance. He is so good in this. And he kind of comes out of uh, Bumbach's collaborations with Wes Anderson. And also just you can kind of see Ben Stiller appreciating it uh, as the son of of two actors in his own right and then you have Bumbach with his literary parents like you can kind of see that they probably did have a lot in common and had similar sensibilities uh, Ben Stiller is excellent I also really love Greta Gerwig in this I think she is wonderful I had been a fan of hers in her I hate the phrase but her mumblecore era I'd seen um, Hannah Takes the Stairs and Nights and Weekends, and I'd seen her in a few other films and thought she was just someone who your eye immediately goes to. And she always seems very real and very sweet and just someone who has that it quality. And she's excellent here. She's kind of playing, I mean, they've called it, you know, like a manic pixie dream girl, but in no way is she a dream dream girl. She is someone who is very um, passive and easily swayed. Like she'll say she doesn't want to do something. And then two seconds later, she's doing it because she's a people pleaser to the extreme. And so you can kind of see these are two screwed up people at different points in their lives coming together. So, yeah, I think it's a very good film. What is your experience with Greenberg? Yes, yes. I've, it's a movie that I think I might have been a little underwhelmed with when I first saw it, and I've, I've yeah. only come to uh, enjoy, is this, uh, maybe not the right word, but only come to love it more. Um, mm -hmm. Although the older I get, the more it plays like a horror movie. Uh, yes. Out at the scream, or at the screen for for Greta Gerwig's, um, uh, I think her name's is it Francis in the movie. I just want to scream at her to uh, to get away from Ben Stiller's. <laughs> very oh, tough. from Florence. Yeah, it's like kick him out of that apartment. Oh my God. Yes. And I almost and and I could spend the rest of the uh, podcast talking about how much I love Greta Gerwig in front of the camera, behind the camera. Yeah. So great, uh, and 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 like you have also been a big big fan. For years, so I remember being excited that she was uh, in this movie. I, I, and as as good as the movie is, I sometimes wonder if she's so good in it that it almost works at a cross purpose for this film because she's uh, um, she's she's so lovable, she's so interesting, she's so quirky. You you almost you just want to take care of her uh, that you just want you don't in no way do you want her together with the uh, Roger Greenberg character even no. if. You, and I think the way it's written, I would could imagine another actress being in this, being being very good, but also maybe not being as endearing 
and 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 seeming more like a kind of a a, a, a train a lovable train wreck. So as mm-hmm. much as she is a train wreck, but it seems like she's so full of potential um, that that they're very much uh, out outmatched. Uh, so no no part of me wants to see them end up together at the end. That said. Uh, yeah, I love the movie. I feel like Ben Stiller's great. I think it's one of his best roles. I love when he does, um, you know, it's a dramedy, but, you know, leans into his his dramatic side. Uh, I know guys like this. I feel like he's uh, so full of regret. I think it's a great L.A. movie. I love the yeah. different everything from Musso and Franks to the different strip mall locations and, and L.A. looks it's got this great juxtaposition of like the the beautiful Bougainvillea and the pool and everything outside the the houses to like the dingy strip malls and the car culture and how isolated uh, everybody is from each other. Uh, so I think it's a really, uh, yeah, really interesting, really uh, well done midlife crisis movie. There was a great quote I read from uh, Jonathan Bombach that was, he said that, uh, Noah always says, Noah's joke is that Squid and the Whale was me, the dad at the worst. Margo was Georgia, the mother at the worst. And Greensburg, Greenberg was him, Noah, at his worst, um, which I love because the Greenberg character does feel uh, very specific. Um, so, yeah, no, uh, big fan of this one. I think uh, we talked about, uh, you mentioned Greta and uh, kind of the Mumblecore films. And again, in this movie, you can see partly in, in her casting, uh, his casting of her, but also there's a Mark Duplass uh, uh, role. Yes. There are other little moments where, where it's, it's, it feels like it's Noah Baumbach. Okay. I've, I have my, you know, I'm, I have my influences in, in European French new wave and seventies tour cinema, but I'm also keeping an eye on what's going on with kind of like the new kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, very, which feels very Greenberg. Uh, and he's, he's kind of signaling that to us by, by, you know, peppering the movie. Uh, 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 with roles uh, from from people from that kind of like upcoming or by then established mumblecore world. Yeah, yeah, I'm a huge fan of the Duplass brothers, and so it was really good to see Mark in here as well. I think uh, you brought up a really good point about you don't want to see them together. I say give it like another week or two weeks, and they're going to fizzle apart, or you know he's going to screw something up, or. Um, but also she's in that era of when you're in your 20s and you don't know who you're supposed to date, that you kind of just date everybody. When I think of, uh, I, I had a conversation with my Uber driver recently where he was talking about how much he hated his daughter's boyfriend. And then he kind of just went, did you date horrible people in your 20s? And I'm like, yes, I dated too many musicians, you know, but, you know, that was my joke. But it was also like, and comic book artists and screenwriters and you know, who you date in your 20s, and you don't really know um, what you're looking for, who you are, or uh, that kind of thing. And so I'm thinking, you know, Florence is going to hopefully bounce back from this predicament that she finds um, herself on, unfortunately, in at the end of the movie, and she's there with Greenberg, and you just kind of hope that they're going to separate, or that's going to come to a head pretty soon. But yeah. Yes, fing- fingers crossed. Uh, but that they'll both be okay because the, yes. the, the one very satisfying thing about having a movie about a character as kind of toxic as the the Roger Greenberg Ben Stiller character is, it's really it's really enjoyable to see just the incremental step towards uh, getting back out there and changing yes, his, his just just his caring for the dog, just yes. his going on the spontaneous trip with the younger women to Australia. 
Uh, and there's just felt like there were kind of echoes of the end of, of kicking and screaming there. In, in, but in that one, he was, you did want him to fly uh, overseas to Berlin. Uh, mm-hmm. so friend. Um, and yeah, also all these great themes of kind of uh, what it means to be a, a middle-aged artist grappling with uh, the younger generation that's nipping at your heels about to replace you. And uh, just since we've talked about Romare and, and Ben Stiller's kind of mantra in this is I under, you know, I really want to do nothing, kind of evoking that La Collectionnaise Con- character. Uh, yes. I want to do nothing and that that kind of uh, strive, striving for uh, almost like a, a Zen balance um, that he definitely does not uh, ever achieve in this movie. No, not at all. Well, the next a great little roles. So I forgot. I was like, oh, Brie Larson is in this and Juno Temple. Yes. Reese Fonz. And yeah. Hip cast. Yeah, very much. Well, our next film kind of sees Noah in his um, era with Greta Gerwig, who is his partner now after his um, divorce from Jennifer Jason Lee. He fell in love with Greta uh, after he made um, Greenberg, although you can, you know, there's been debates and, you know, you just go by what they're saying in interviews. It's their own private life, of course. But you see the love. In, in full bloom in Francis Ha, which is a beautiful film about female friendship and really, I think, is as sweet and wonderful as it is because of Greta Gerwig and what she's able to bring to it authentically um, in the writing of it. I also love that it shows you how when you fall in love with somebody, you're willing to look at them in a certain way that might not be completely real, like they are just wonderful like she seems to float above this new york city she wants to be a dancer yet she falls all the time and has bruises that she can't place and she really isn't that terribly talented or coordinated as a dancer but she has just so much uh infectious spirit and she loves working with kids and she's you know she's Greta Gerwig and so it's just a love letter to her and female friendship so talk to me about Frances Ha yeah, well, uh, yeah, I also don't want to speculate too much on on the yeah, yeah. private lives behind the camera, but just interesting to note that, yes, uh, I think Greenberg was, uh, I think it's got a story by uh, credit with Jennifer Jason yes. Lee and Bombeck, and obviously she's in Greenberg, and then uh, he's doing Francis Ha, uh, uh, now in a relationship with, with Greta Gerwig, and, yes. and, uh, and it's just so interesting that he's making movies about couples working together and clashing together and, and artistic jealousies and, and yeah, and on some level this is, 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 uh, you know, being mirrored in the, in the films he's making. Uh, mm-hmm. so for this, I remember reading the New Yorker article, I think it was called happiness it was a profile about the two of them sending cute little notes to each other and oh. how they collaborated. And I was jealous and sickened and in love with both of them all at the same time. <laughs> Went to see this movie and was so charmed. The, the whole movie uh, on the first viewing in the theater, I was having, you know, seen Greenberg not too long before, wherever that was the year before, you know, waiting for, for the other shoe to drop and something terrible to happen to this main character. And it really doesn't. Uh, no. and, and, and still the movie is very satisfying and and yeah I, I agree with you it's almost like you're seeing uh this this new york this very woody allen manhattan uh type uh black and white landscape very romantic through her eyes um and she at times has this like childlike 
you know, wonder about her, even as a, a, a grown woman, she has a, a sort of a naivete that, uh, you know, causes her to be spontaneous and go to, to Paris, you know, off, uh, uh, off the cuff. And I feel like you're kind of seeing the world through her, her eyes in a certain way. And I love that. And the movie feels very uh, romantic um, in that way. And I think it is a really cool movie about female friendship um and it's so much lighter than his other films it just feels like this is this is a filmmaker who is falling in love in love um that that's the the vibe this movie has and every time i put it on i i just seen it saw it a few months ago so i thought i was just going to watch the opening just to refresh my memory and instantly i'm i'm watching the, the whole thing and uh you have adam driver i think this is the first movie he's noah bomback movie he's showing up in so again this kind of noah bomback keeping a foot in the oh i guess the you know the, the the generation just slightly younger than him of filmmakers and kind of bringing adam driver in from the world of of girls yeah uh, in in my mind and as uh you know as as light as elements of the story can be there's also this this uh her her real hardships of of yeah an artist in new york in a world where uh either people uh have money and pre pretend not to or have money and flaunt it or she's you know she's really kind of getting kicked around and you really feel for her um as she's being you know tossed through this world and trying to trying to restore her friendship with her her old best friend when when that was like a simpler time she's trying to get back to and it's really gratifying to see her kind of grow up at the end yeah he makes movies about new beginnings at all time periods of your life but this movie it makes a really interesting double feature with kicking and screaming and in some respects kicking and screaming almost feels like a young man trying to make a movie like a middle-aged guy and this is like the middle-aged guy sort of making a film that feels very student film like or when you're just graduating from film school and the world is your oyster but you're also as the Chris Eigman character says nostalgic for something while it's happening because we do have that with um, Frances there's a scene where she's at like a dinner party and she's talking about her college friends and you know well that was I'm going to say the names wrong because I don't have it in front of me but like that was Sally and Gretchen and these people don't know these people, but she's just, you know, telling the story from her college point of view. And it seems like, yeah, she probably would have been friends or somebody that Chris Eigman's character would have met at a party or something. Although she would have been more effervescent, I think, and a little too lively for those uh, sort of kind of cynical characters in that film. Yeah. And uh, again, I've been, I tweeted this last week, poor Greta Gerwig just can't seem to find, uh, in my mind, a good man in the movies. I know she ends up with a nice guy. There's a little romance, but I don't know. I didn't feel like I didn't feel like he was he was just right for her, the kind of uh, trust fund kid from the apartment. Um, but you're more, I think, satisfied by her uh, her dance career. And I love yeah, her arc. The, the ending. Um, Noah Baumbach's really good, I think, of having these, uh, which I think is very European, these kind of abbreviated little buttons at the end of his film that for a second kind of almost feel a little abrupt, but also I think feel very satisfying um, when you reflect on them, whether it's her putting her name in the mailbox or Jesse Eisenberg seeing the squid and the whale in the museum and reflecting on his parents or the 
um, uh, actress uh, uh, fiddling with her her retainer and um, kicking and screaming, and we get the sense they're with the, oh that means they're about to kiss. I, I I love those. I love his endings. Yeah, today when I was sharing the story of uh, me horrifying someone at Squid and the Whale, the author Adrian McKinty shared that when he goes to the Museum of Natural History in New York, where he has like a season pass and he loves to go and write, he said if he stays there long enough, he'll hear people whispering and he'll usually hear the words Jesse Eisenberg or Holden Caulfield. But uh, he said that Squid and the Whale has that much of an impact that when people are there, they'll bring it up. And so these endings do kind of, um, they they last. And I do love that about uh, Francis Ha. I think that the ending of this movie is like, you care less about who she ends up with than, than her journey. And I think that is something that I love about this. Whereas in Kicking and Screaming, you want the Olivia Dabo and uh, the other, now I'm blanking out his name, uh, you want the main characters to end up together again. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Well, our next film is Marriage Story, which is um, a film that he says is more about just everybody he knows getting divorced, as well as drawing on his own life and his parents um, divorce once again. So I think he's drawing from a lot of sources. He said he interviewed a lot of his friends. He interviewed um, divorce lawyers. He interviewed mediators, judges, all kinds of people to kind of pull from. Of course, everybody who saw this movie, there was a million think pieces of people trying to get in the private lives of Noah Bumbach and Jennifer Jason Lee and Greta Gerwig. And we're not there to do that. But it's a very, very good film. Again, you have Adam Driver, who is a phenomenal uh, actor, I think one of the best of his generation. You also have Scarlett Johansson. You can't help but say that this film is definitely semi-autobiographical in places. The Scarlett Johansson character seems very much like a Jennifer Jason Lee type. I mean, even drawing from her background with her mother, um, that definitely comes through. And Jennifer Jason Lee, I guess, has said that she really liked the film and read the script and saw it and uh, does think highly of it. I think it is very generous. I remember being a little worried going in, wondering what it was going to be like and wanting to be a little protective or not sure what I was going to see. But I think it was one of the best films the year that it was made. So what are your thoughts on it? Uh, yeah, I agree with all that. It also feels like, uh, or, or I think it is a, a much, you know, it's a it's a bigger movie. Yes, um, I think this is a Netflix budget. Um, yeah, and and you get these great scenes like um, uh, of, of Scarlett Johansson when she's walking through the the, the studio lot and everybody's kind oh, of yes. heels and it, it feels very um, Godard and the and the theater and the New York and they're back and forth from. New York to LA and it's yeah it, it feels like a culmination of um in many ways a lot of the the bomb back movies we're talking about uh one because now now we've got his take on New York and LA in the same movie and we've also got uh you know and, and which kind of riffs on Annie Hall a little bit and then we also got this other having just made what I think is the ultimate divorce movie now he's making another divorce movie but not uh, riffing on his his parents or his own experience as a child, but on I would imagine, like you said, his own divorce, but also the divorces of uh, his many friends that probably around his age are getting uh, divorced. And of course, who's who is the divorcing couple? But two 
uh, artistically inclined uh, individuals. And I, I think it's really uh, interesting to, to it's just a really interesting um, that he's in the theater and he brought her from the, the more successful TV world, but into the, uh, in his mind, more uh, artistically a valuable world and now she's returning to hollywood and and that's one kind of he's he's uh licking his wounds about that it's a kind of another bomb back um male protagonist uh upset um hurt by his artist partner uh kind of outgrowing him mm-hmm. but like in the previous stories uh the adam driver character deals with it in a much more mature way mm-hmm um, even at the end, the Scarlett Johansson character is directing, not just acting, but directing. That's that's his ballpark, and he is uh, okay with that. And it's hard to watch that and not think about Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig, uh, who has this phenomenal directing career. Yes. Maybe there was, uh, you know, and, and not drawing parallels, you know, to, to, to their story as well. Mm-hmm. No, 100%. And I also think, um, just like you brought up with Greenberg and the supporting performances, and we were bringing up some of the supporting players like uh, Baldwin in Squid and the Whale, this is a film with just terrific uh, supporting performances. I think Laura Dern has so many scene-stealing moments, but I also love like Ray Liotta. There's this interplay in the courtroom where just you need somebody with the the power of Laura Dern what how she like plays with her jacket and takes it off and like how she's wrapping the men around her finger but also uh getting some power on her own and just um the way that the lawyers start out on your side or change and i think you know it it's a really great film with so many good performances and i also think it's very humane and very um, more compassionate when it comes to the children. It's less cynical, I feel, than some of the films. And I think that might be um, from him having a kid who by now has been, um, he's seen grow up a bit. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree that and 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 being someone who's divorced or separated, it, it feels like there's so much humor in this movie but it feels like he made a conscious choice to not uh, mine the humor from the, the foibles and the insecurities of our main couple of Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. Uh, instead, most he's, it's a, a little more of a sympathetic, much more of a yeah. view towards them um, and, and the machinations of their divorce. And from the the, the team of lawyers, also Alan Alda, it feels yes. like... A lot of the humor uh, comes from from them, mm-hmm. and in that way, there's something about the the marriage or divorce story between Adam Driver and, and uh, Scarlett Johansson that feels uh, I don't know very very honest or you know it's a little feels I don't know a little more pure. He's kind of it's the, the, he's kind of uh, setting it setting that crown jewel and the, the humor being the supporting performances, if that makes any sense. It really does. And you brought up that this is the Netflix era, another film that he made around this time, the Meyerowitz stories. I really liked. I have not seen White Noise yet. Um, Am I forgetting one of the other Netflix films? I can't remember. But uh, it's it's him. Uh, He said he 
liked as he got more successful. It became obviously easier to get his films made, but he still has stayed true to that same artistic sensibility and the things that we've seen uh, from the earliest days, I think. Yeah. I and mean, when I said that there were, you know, not a ton of filmmakers making these types of movies, I, I also mean then there are there are plenty, but there aren't that many with doing it right now who have done yes. done eight, nine movies. There's there's kind of a, a longevity um, there that I find uh, really interesting and admirable and exciting that, oh, a new Noah Baumbach movie is going to come out. And then he's he's been um, really prolific. There was the year I think Mistress America and While We're Young came out. Uh, both in the same year, so yeah. That now that he's working with Netflix, or it's 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 great to just see how he's uh, yeah he's persevering. I have not watched White Noise. I will. I'm I know, like, same. All scared because I kind of just want him to do his own stuff, but um, yeah, who who knows? I'll I will definitely watch it uh, soon. Yes. Well, do you have any other thoughts that you want to share on these films that we're forgetting? I don't think so. Just, just uh, in, in to sum it up, yeah, I felt like these five that we talked about. It, it felt like kicking and screaming was kind of one to talk about. That as the first film, the lightest film, the kind of almost screwball comedy in some ways film that has very different influences. And then Squid and the Whale kind of felt like the the hey, I've done some therapy comeback film. <laughs> you know, the two divorce movies, Greenberg being his middle aged movie. Francis Ha being his, his falling uh, I'm in love movie and uh, mm-hmm. Mary being a uh, a kind of a, a crack at the divorce story from more of a, uh, the adult's perspective. Yeah, a picture of a man, a whole picture there, I think. But if you're listening to this and you'd like some of these films and you haven't seen them, go ahead and check out the other ones. Uh, I think While We're Young was pretty entertaining. I haven't seen that one in a while. I did like Mistress America, too. So I think there's there's a lot there that uh, we could have explored as well. But these are definitely, I think, the pinnacles. Yeah. Uh, me too. Me too. I've, uh, like I said, love all his films, except haven't seen Highball. And, and yeah, Margot the Wedding was probably the one I liked the least, even though I did really you know, on uh, one level enjoy it. Yes. Well, Duncan, I want to thank you so much for being here for this. Um, do you have any last thoughts on your career anything you want to talk about before we go no just uh, watch the noah Baumbach movies if if you have the desire and then you know after that settle in and watch who invited them actually watch who invited them first and then watch the noah Baumbach movies uh i think that might be a good a good order yes I'm happy to be on the show thanks for having me i listen all the time so um yeah i'm, I'm happy to be here Oh, you'll have to come back for sure. And I know you're going to come back for the Dennis Hopper episode, which I'm looking forward to. And yeah, when you watch uh, the Noah Baumbach's and then you go to Who Invited Them, then I think what needs to happen is if you you have this, um, if you're one of the powers that be, you call Duncan and you green light the whole, um, you know, those stories from Kicking and Screaming because he's going to bring it to TV. And I love that idea too. Love it. Yes. Thank you. I also want to thank everyone for listening, especially my patrons who support the show and help fund my research equipment, film rentals, RSS fees, and more for as little as a dollar per month at the Film Intuition Patreon, which is the home base for the show. 
Other ways you can support the podcast are by sharing, reviewing, and subscribing to Watch with Jen wherever you get your podcasts, and also checking out the cool merch store hosted and created by our talented logo designer, Kate Gabrielle. You can find the merchandise store, including shirts, tote bags, stickers, and more by visiting filmintuition.com and clicking on the shop link. The show's theme music is solo acoustic guitar by Jason Shaw and is available in the free music archive. You can also reach me or interact with Watch With Jen anytime on Twitter, either at Film Intuition or our Watch With Jen account as well. Well, until next time, please take care and happy movie watching. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen.